Kuala, and this is day one from the Miller Entrepreneurship Center at William & Mary. Thank you for joining us for our podcast, where we give you a glimpse into the day in the life of some alumni founders doing incredible work and leading meaningful, connected lives. Our guest today is Clarissa Delgado. Clarissa Delgado graduated from William & Mary with degrees in history and art history in 2009. After leaving the Berg, Clarissa earned her Master's of Arts in Education with a focus in educational administration from Ateneo de Manila University. It was in Manila that Clarissa co-founded Teach for the Philippines, a nonprofit organization that focuses on improving teacher quality and addressing education challenges at the system level in an effort to provide all Filipino students with access to inclusive, relevant education. Clarissa has served as the CEO of Teach for the Philippines for eight years and has received much acclaim for her work, including the Obama Foundation Fellowship, a program that supports incredible civic innovators around the world. Thank you so much for your time today, Clarissa. Sonia, thank you so much for having me and for conceptualizing this podcast. It brings me closer to my William and Mary family. Oh, of course, of course. I, I love to start off every podcast, um, perhaps by talking about family, but maybe not, um, and going back to uh, your roots and um, where you got your start uh, by asking you, when you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? I, I love that about the, the podcast that you had with Francisco because I really appreciated your focus on how much of ourselves you bring to our work and how we are so much more than what we do. Um, and that really resonates with the cultural values uh, that I grew up with, I grew up in the Philippines, uh, a much more collectivist rather than individualist society. So um, I, I guess the, the value I learned in the Philippines and continue to learn is the strength in our unity as a society and my family unit. And then I learned in my 10 years abroad how to be an individual mm -hmm. um, and how to stand on my own. Um, I think when I look back at me and my life in reflection of your question of what did I want to be when I grew up. Um, I was raised around a dinner table of strong characters. And as I mentioned, the Philippines is, is very, um, it, I am who we are. And so, so very close family units. And so I was, my family is, is uh, a whole boatload of strong characters. Um, my grandfather was a prisoner of war um, in World War II. My grandmother was a was a guerrilla fighter. Um, my mom and dad are strong characters. Mm -hmm. um, and I think what matters to them is not what we want to be. That was not uh, what was stressed, but who we want to be. Or, or I guess said differently, um, they don't mind if we are strong characters, but the emphasis is not on being strong. It's on having a character. And so I was more concerned growing up about the kind of person I wanted to be. Uh, and the values that I that I tested and refined and now hold close and continue to reflect on every year rather than any particular role. Um, so so I guess a short form answer is no, I had no idea that I would be co-founding or CEO, <laughs> nor had any ambition to do any of the above uh, at any point ever <laughs> in my in in any in, in any of my growing up years to early adulthood. One of the things that, um, you know, at William & Mary, I think is accentuated, but really William & Mary just serves as a microcosm of, of the greater American culture in this way, in my view, is that we're so focused on doing um, and focused on, you know, extracurricular activities, being involved and 
taking the hardest, most challenging classes you can and meeting professors for office hours, which creates a very fruitful experience for a lot of students. But I also think um, we overemphasize doing um, rather than being sometimes. And we, we mistake our identity for what we do rather than, rather than who we are. And I'm really wondering how growing up in the Philippines where you were in a family that stressed the who and not the what, and you, you grew up within a greater collectivist culture, what was the transition like um, between, you know, coming from that to America and to William Mary? So hard. Um, I think there's benefits on it, 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 with both societies. And I think the greatest gift I have is having had uh, opportunity to experience the different perspectives and point of view. So I think growing up, it's easy to, to, to romanticize this collectivist culture, but it can also be a burden, right? Um, because you're not seen as an individual. You're only seen through the lens of your family. It doesn't really matter what it is you do in this life. Um, it, it, you, you already have a predetermined role. Um, and so that is both a source of strength, but can also be suffocating. And so it took a lot. Um, I, I left for America when I was 13, and I didn't come back to the, to the Philippines until I was 23, and I was alone the whole time. Um, and so I had to grow up really fast and apart from basic cultural norms. So in the Philippines, we have great respect or Pacific, a nation, right? So great respect for our elders. And it would be, for example, considered rude to look at our teachers in the eye. Whereas in America, that's, you know, considered maybe not so trustworthy. Um, and so apart from all those cultural barriers, I also had to very quickly learn um, who I was. And, and and I had to learn how to articulate it because in 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 Western society, you know, you stand on your own two feet and you are separate from your family and you have to be able to define all the things you are and all the things you believe in, all your pronouns, all everything, <laughs> you. Um, and I had never been asked to do that. Um, and so the 10 years I was in the United States really gave me the opportunity to explore um, who I was as an individual. And I think the return to the Philippines then when I was enveloped back into the, you know, um, the close-knit society um, and family, it was also not without its challenges. Um, completely overwhelming to have spent a decade developing your individuality only to come home and drive, you know, have that almost, you know, stamped out of you. Um, and then now, you know, 11 years later, um, finding the middle ground between both um, pushing the envelope in a collectivist society by being an individual, but then also um, reminding myself that the beauty of being part of a society where the ties are so close is that it reminds me every day of my responsibility to that society um, mm -hmm. and my contributions as well as how those values shine through in my work. Um, and it wasn't easy. I think uh, in order to, to get to those reflections, you have to sometimes marvel in your own ignorance. And I think that's one of the things that I, I do very often um, is just marvel at how ignorant I am about so very many things and not in a pejorative negative way. You're listening to Day One, the podcast from the Miller Entrepreneurship Center at William & Mary. Today, we're talking to Clarissa Delgado, the founder of Teach for the Philippines. So I'm wondering, 
how does this experience um, of kind of being submerged in both of these cultures and having to articulate yourself and then also then going back to the Philippines, how does that influence the work that you do? I know you mentioned, um, you know, a responsibility to, to um, people around you and to the community. Um, are there any other ways that this might inform your work with Teach for the Philippines? Yeah, it informs my work in every way. Um, I think it's difficult to understand what an inclusive, relevant, and excellent education is until you receive it, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so having had a taste of the opportunities and the kind of education that's out there um, made me wonder why those opportunities wouldn't be available at home uh, to a wider a swath of individuals uh, rather than just you know the ten percent that get a college degree in the in, in the Philippines um, and 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 I guess the, in, the what I learned abroad in the in the Western Hemisphere that individualism teaches you is that you have um, agency and and yeah you have agency to to ask and to question why things aren't a certain way. Um, and I think that agency and that gumption is really what led me to being a co-founder of an education organization. Um, just, you know, the simple question of why aren't those opportunities available here for the great majority of the 27 million children in the system? Let's switch gears a little bit and jump into, um, can you tell me about a day in your life? Um, and typically, you know, what are your morning routines like? Um, you know, just take me through it. Sure. Um, so I guess the day in my life would look very different pre-COVID from post-COVID. Hmm. Uh, COVID, I, I spent a lot of time traveling, uh, both domestically and internationally, and there's no day in my role as CEO that looks the same. I think the only anchors in my week are um, my standing management meeting every Tuesday and my standing executive meeting every Wednesday morning. And every third Thursday of the month, I have a board meeting uh, with the executive committee. And apart from that, it's kind of a mixed bag. Uh, so I'm either meeting with local governments or uh, on the phone with funders or visiting schools when I can. Um, more often than not, visiting regional offices and, and principals and uh, uh, just, just, you know, seeing the program across the country, but then also in the last few years, especially since the Obama fellowship, spending a lot more time um, abroad as well mm -hmm. uh, and trying to, uh, you know, uh, participate in the global conversations around education as a, as a local Filipino uh, practitioner um, and, and developing a network of allies that go beyond our shores. And so, uh, for the first five years, I did not travel at all outside of the Philippines, but in the last three years, uh, or two and a half really, uh, travel has picked up speed greatly. Um, and so even just in 2019, I was traveling once a month. Uh, 2018 was bad, once a month internationally. 2019 was once a month uh, travel, but more domestic. 
2020 was gearing up to be one in which I was going to be out of the country a whole bunch, but COVID kind of put a pause on that. So my day now looks a little bit different. I think COVID has given me a lot more control over my time. Um, and so, and no commute, which is always fun. <laughs> so, um, uh, yeah, I'm able to, 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 to start my day early, uh, 6.30, get at it. Um, and uh, unfortunately, though, the, even though you have more control of your time, I think um, I end up working longer hours, uh, for sure. I mean, it's almost 11. And, uh, and, and we're still on a phone. And I had just come from a series of two meetings before this. And it, when we're trying to match everybody's uh, time zones, Asia normally gets the, the short end of the stick. Uh, so it's either 4am and 5am calls or, or, or nine or 10pm calls. And so, um, the days just get a little bit longer, but I have a lot to be grateful for with a roof over my head and, and the opportunity to participate, uh, uh, and connect online, uh, at least have an internet connection. So I'm no complaining over here. Just, um, my, it's a lot more routinary now that there's COVID because of the quarantines. Uh, but in typical, once we get back out there, um, there's really no two days that look the same, if that makes any sense. I don't have any routine, uh, about getting the same cup of coffee. Nah. <laughs> Not for you. Not you for and Francisco me. can go head to head. <laughs> so, uh, I, Really, thank you again for your time because I know that you are a busy, a busy person and um, are running, running around the clock. And I also just want to know, as as somebody who's running, you know, running all the clock around the clock all the time, especially post COVID, um, how do you, or during COVID, unfortunately, how do you take care of yourself um, and and restore? It's a good question, especially now. Um, I'm, I, you know, well-being is is on is on so many uh, folks' mind. Um, during COVID, I have found relaxation in things that give me immediate gratification. So I, I don't I don't know about you, but sometimes I felt like I had just lost the thread on planet Earth uh, during the last seven months. I just didn't know what was going on. <laughs> <laughs> or, or what was going to happen next. And I think in those moments, I just, I, I'm already a neat freak by nature. Um, but COVID <laughs> has kind of amped up uh, this, uh, <laughs> this perhaps unattractive neat freakish trait uh, into new stratospheric levels. And so I find that um, laundry and cleaning is how I take out my... Uh, uh, stress and anxiety and find relaxation. And if I were to drill it down, I think it's because uh, they give me immediate gratification. There is something that I can put order in uh, and it will make sense and it will make sense now. I love that. I love that. One of our um, tenets of entrepreneurial thinking that we um, sort of teach through our programming at the center is a tolerance for ambiguity. Um, and that's much easier said than done, um, especially for me. And, and I'm thinking for you um, in terms of your um, routines of, of order in the madness, as you said. So how do you, you know, you have these routines that give you structure, but when you need to tolerate the ambiguity um, and that's required of you, how do you approach that? 
I mean, it's, you're actually speaking to somebody that actually has quite a high tolerance for ambiguity. Um, a lot of my work is ambiguous. I mean, education in itself is ambiguous. It's an entirely ambiguous art and science, right? Like you're, you're teaching the art of learning if you are teaching a truly liberating pedagogy. And I think you'll know it's um, an entirely ambiguous, I mean, the data points and, and, and fun, functional literacy and numeracy outcomes aside, um, the concept of learning is itself ambiguous at best. Um, when you then add in the fact that you are a non-government organization and you are, you know, 100% uh, on donated funds, when you're working in a local government, when you're working in an archipelago of 7,600 islands, um, there is nothing in my work that is remotely certain. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, no, I mean, my tolerance for ambiguity is, is quite, quite high. I, 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 I've never been, um, or I've never been challenged by that. I have a, I have a pretty high tolerance for it since childhood. Um, I think what I've needed to learn though, is how to operate in teams where others might not share that same tolerance because there's no right or wrong answer. It's just that some are more comfortable than others, but that doesn't mean that there's a way that works better than another way. And when you're working in a team, um, I think it's the ability to both communicate and calm and also learn how to work through other folks, uh, especially educators or academics, right, that might not have the same tolerance or comfort in sitting in an everything is an I don't know situation. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's actually the skill that I've learned less about how to tolerate ambiguity. I, I'm quite okay with it. More about how to um, create structure or collaboratively decide on some structure that will make the ambiguity tolerable to others. Sure. Um, and no, that's completely makes so much sense. Um, how I, I know Francisco in our last podcast had talked a lot about how, you know, among his daily activities, especially when he was the acting, acting CEO of Glasshouse Policy, how that activity of, you know, working with people, leading people, that was one of the things that really energized him. Um, so, you know, what, I'm curious as to what effect um, that part of your job, um, that part of your day has on you. Mm. Yeah, um, I might not be the best person to ask that question because I'm a bit of a nerd. <laughs> I love management. I really do. Yeah. I actually think um, I am the most unsuitable CEO ever. Everything that should be doing being a CEO, I'm the complete antithesis. I hate public. I'm a complete introvert. Um, and so I don't mind this whole quarantine thing. Like the concept of not leaving a room doesn't bug me. I could sit in a room and read forever. Um, <laughs> And, and I, I very, meant, I mean, for goodness sake, I was, I was a history and an art history. I mean, I just wanted to be in a, in a museum or, or in a room <laughs> for the rest of my life. I had no intention uh, to be out and about. Um, and so all the things I think folks traditionally look forward to um, in the CEO role are actually things I despise um, mm -hmm. and have had to learn how to um, I've had to learn how to be comfortable with it's actually the genesis of most of my stress and all the things that I think people get so exhausted love doing, which is trying to run the best and most effective meetings, um, people management, um, 
getting teams to work together. I love that stuff. Um, I love uh, figuring out how to how to bring together folks that that are going to be phenomenal on the same team, untangling issues, um, uh, understanding that the organization is really like a living organism, right? And, and it, how it changes and, and reflecting and the changes minute and large scale that it makes even in a single year. Um, and how the character of the organization morphs. I love thinking about those things. And I love uh, the, the human aspect of it, the human from development aspect of it, all the way to the process aspect of it, of running meetings, um, quality control. Um, it's a bit nerdy, uh, but I really enjoy <laughs> all of that. So um, actually my favorite part of the job is people management and understanding um, how to help folks be their best selves so that we can give the best of ourselves uh, mm -hmm. to, our, to our children, to our students. Yeah, as a management minor, that's very affirming, um, and, and I love to hear that, so wonderful. I, I could keep asking you questions for, for hours, and I, I have a ton more scribbled down on my little note sheet here, um, but I really want to um, end our conversation by going back to what we talked about at the beginning about, you know, your childhood, um, the environment in which you grew up, and if you could go back and, and tell that kid um, something, anything, what would it be? It's a very good question, Sonia, to, to, uh, to ask somebody, you know, if you could go back in time and tell yourself one thing. Mm. I think if miraculously you were able to, I would have told my younger self to look harder for mentors. Mm. Um, I was very much alone. Uh, while I was in the United States, and I felt very much alone. Mm -hmm. uh, I have my best friends in this world. Uh, I have two best friends from high school, two best friends in in in, uh, in college and um, at the college, and and they kept me sane and kept me together for sure. But friends are not necessarily mentors, right? Um, they're peers, they're colleagues, they're folks you confide in. But I would have told my younger self um, about the value of finding an adult who's been around the block once or twice um, and really anchoring myself on, on seeking wiser counsel because I was uh, keeping counsel to myself and that maybe wasn't the smartest thing um, to do. And I think I would have saved myself so much heartache and so much headache um, if I had known and learned early on to ask for help from the adults in the room and be open to mentorship. Um, I think that would have given me a great, great gift. And so um, just in case that's helpful, right? I mean, the, the value of mentorship is literally mind boggling. It's changed my life completely. And I just wish I had gone down this pathway a little bit earlier. In fact, <laughs> as early as possible, uh, rather than so, adamantly trying to figure out all of that on my own. I, I didn't realize that I didn't have to be alone. Mm. Uh, and, and I think that would have been such a gift if, if I had realized this sooner. Well, thank you so much, Clarissa, for I, I think potentially making some of our listeners feel less alone with, with your stories. Yeah. I know you certainly um, provided me with some, some wise insight and some things to think about today. Um, and, and to all our listeners, thank you for joining us for our conversation with Clarissa Delgado. 
Please see the link in the show notes to share your thoughts and questions with us, as well as suggestions for future episodes. And remember to make today day one.